0: bronze star um, a week ago which was a total surprise for him and I was sharing with my brother over there and he's a chaplain and he uh, he got it for a, a ministry beyond the call of duty under enemy fire he goes out with everybody else and, and they've lost nine guys since the end of uh, March and he did the first memorial service for his group over there and he told me dad I didn't have any idea what I was doing that's what happens you just make it up as you go along and uh, he did a good job and they made it prototype for sadly the other services that they've had we don't know where they are but we we believe they're in transit uh, eventually on the way back possibly by September and uh, there are others do you know the Decosmos Gary and Jackie with their son Samuel is in Afghanistan uh, for an extended stay. He will not be coming back in September. So we still have our finest obligated all over the place and wish it wasn't necessary. Wish it wasn't necessary. But since Genesis chapter 3, we have made a mess of the very perfect environment in which... God put us, and I thank God for our military and those who serve, but I wish it wasn't necessary. I know you do as well. So anyway, today's text is going to relate a little bit to government, and so I I hope you'll be glad you came, but you may not be. <laughs> I'll give you the options. Um, we're in Luke chapter 20. Brother Chuck brought us up to around verse 19, and I just pick up from there. Luke chapter 20 and tell you what this is all about. You know what's rough? It's not only the service members, it's their spouses. Oh, my goodness. See, they just have to wait and worry and pray and all the rest. The active duty person is engaged and the spouse, that's rough. So we have to pray for them as well. Anyway, uh, Luke chapter 20, verse 19, are you ready? Look, the scribes and the chief priests, that doesn't always happen because they didn't like each other. (laughs) Those are two groups that had animosity towards one another, but they had greater animosity towards Jesus than towards one another, so they team up out of a mutual contempt for him. The scribes and chief priests tried to lay hands on him, Now, that doesn't mean like we sometimes do for blessing. They wanted to execute him. Why? Well, he had been speaking in parables, and it was about them, and it wasn't a pretty picture. He was showing them what they're made of, hypocrites, essentially, leading people astray. They didn't like what they heard. That, it was truth, was irrelevant. They didn't like it. So they wanted to lay hands on him that very hour or immediately. They were so incensed. They almost were on the verge of casting caution to the wind so as to apprehend him. But they had a problem. See, they feared the people. See, the people, the masses, were enamored by this new rabbi, Jesus. Many were believing, actually. It's always been the Jewish religious leadership that's the problem, then and today, leading the shepherds, leading the sheep astray. By the way, that's not just a Jewish thing. That's an everything thing. Religious leaders lead sheep astray. They have to give uh, account to Almighty God. So uh, the Jewish religious leaders didn't want to take uh, the Lord Jesus because the people would have rioted. See, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them. And they're infuriated by it. And religious leaders get infuriated when their power and authority, when their power base is threatened. That's what happens. So... It's always it's always personal relationship with the Lord Jesus versus versus organized religion. And organized religion can't tolerate him because people stop following the religious traditions and they start following Jesus the Messiah. Religious leaders don't like that. Anyway, so they watched him, verse 20. They sent spies. <laughs> the religious leaders said, Well, we can't be seen to be behind this. Therefore, they hired with what money? Probably the people's tithes and offerings. They hired spies. <laughs> Isn't this the work of religion? For crying out loud. That's what they do. They hired spies who pretended to be righteous. Maybe they dressed in the clerical garb of the day. I don't know. They did this in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and the authority uh, of the governor. So, verse 21 they questioned him, saying, Teacher, or rabbi, we know that you speak and teach correctly. You know something? They're flattering him. But they're right. He does speak and teach correctly. Isn't this amazing that they could see it and yet not submit to it? That's called spiritual blindness. Uh, That has to be remedied by Almighty God. They had veils. So they flatter him. You speak, you teach correctly, and, and you're not partial to any. But you teach the way of God in truth. So they flatter him, and now they attempt to entrap him, verse 22. Here's what they do. They ask him a question, which they think will pose him with a dilemma. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So Caesar was the head of Roman government in the land of Israel. The the Israelites, they were called then, did not like them. It was an oppressive government occupying the land. And to pay taxes to Rome was offensive to the Jews. So the Jewish religious leaders, they're very smart but not wise. They think they have this renegade Rabbi Jesus cornered. If he said yes, pay taxes to Caesar, they think he will infuriate the Jews who are following him because the Jews hated the Romans. And hated the idea that they were beholden to them as far as taxation. But if he says, no, don't pay tax to Caesar, then he'll be charged with an act of sedition against the government and the land, and Rome will execute him. So the Jewish religious leaders think they have him. They pose him with a yes, no answer with regard to taxes given to Caesar. The Caesar in the day, at this time, by the way, was a man named Tiberius, Tiberius Caesar. Caesar's not a name, it's a title, like Kaiser in Germany, or Tsar in uh, Russia, emperor. Uh, Tiberius the emperor, Tiberius Caesar. You've heard of Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar. This is Tiberius Caesar. There's a place in Israel named after him, Tiberius right along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I'll tell you about him. He's not a good guy. History tells us he was a creep. He was not a governmental leader who had the interests of the constituency in mind. He misused revenue. He exploited the people, all the rest. He was not a good guy. That's what I want you to just stay with right now. Anyway, this is the question they pose. So verse 23 He, the Lord, detected their trickery and said to them. So here's his response. Verse 24, show me a denarius. It's a coin. It's a silver Roman minted coin. It's not Hebrew. It's Roman. And the Lord said, show me it. The fact that they had it shows me that though they despised Rome, they didn't mind handling Roman currency apparently. So they must have reached into their pockets. If you can imagine this, they extract the denarius. The Lord says, well, whose likeness and inscription does it have? They say, Caesar's. So here's the deal. You can look at a denarius today. Archaeologists have discovered many. Many are in the Israeli museum, the British museum, all over the place. You can Google search it if you want, and you can see what a denarius looks like on both sides. On one side, the denarius in this day had inscribed, imprinted on it, the image, the face of Tiberius Caesar. They're in uh, existence today, even. So on one side was the face of Tiberius. On the other, there were words imprinted, inscribed, and this is what it says. Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, Pontifex Maximus, high priest of the Roman nation. That's what it says. See, he claimed to be in a line of other emperors who called themselves God. I'm the son of the divine Augustus. I am the son of God. I am God. That's what he claimed. So that's his picture on one side and this uh, claim uh, on the other. The Lord said, who's like this? They say Caesar's. The Lord responds in verse 25, well then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. In one statement, pithy, succinct, verse 25, I think we find words of wisdom for us as Christian citizens with regard to our response to secular human government. In this one verse, the Lord has said mouthful. Render to Caesar, meaning we owe something to government. Did you know that? The Lord's not arguing. Render, to, you have an, you Christian citizen have an obligation to government, even if the head of it is a godless emperor claiming to be God. Even if it's that bad, you must render to him what is due him. What is due him? Coinage? On which is his image? No, not all money, a portion for taxation. Render to the government tax. As a Christian citizen, you must fulfill your responsibility to pay your taxes to a government that has a right to require it of you. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. On the coin is the image of Caesar. A portion of your money is his, but on you is the image of God. Render to God what's God's. His image is on a coin. God's image is on you. You owe Caesar tax. You owe God your life. So in a succinct way, we get a general guideline for how we as Christians are to live this side of heaven under human uh, government. you owe, We owe something to secular government. So though we are citizens of heaven, we are not exempt from the responsibility to be exemplary citizens on earth. However, what we owe human government is limited by our higher obligation with regard to what we owe God. Therefore, if the two are ever in conflict, we must obey God rather than Caesar. That's how it works. Allegiance to God takes precedence over allegiance to secular human government. Now, this being the case, is it ever right to disobey human government? And if so, under what circumstances? So uh, before I answer or make an attempt at answering it, Let's first figure out where government comes from. Uh, And a good text on this is Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Romans 13.1 tells me where human government came from. Its source is God. It's not Satan who invented it. God came up with the idea. It's an institution of God's own making. God instituted the family. He instituted the church. And he instituted human government. We have come to the point. Where because human government has become so tainted by corruption and evil, we think the whole institution is from the pits of hell. Not true. It's from the heart of God. It was meant as a vehicle, just like church and family, to accomplish his purposes. Human government, therefore, is as holy as church and family because its source is God who is holy. Now that changes a Christian's whole perspective on God. Now remember, this was written when Tiberius was the government. We're not talking about a benevolent, beneficent leader who poured himself out for the good of his people. We're talking about a murderous, vicious, uh, land-grabbing, fleshly, carnal, deeply deceived godless leader who thought himself to be God and in that context even we see the Lord says render to him what is his due nonetheless because human government is not of his making or Satan's I came up with the idea the Lord says of human government well then what is the correct response to human government I want to offer three things there may be more but just to be Simple. Three responsibilities the Christian citizen has to human government. One is to pray for it. Now one time I shared this and the lady got really upset with me because the leader of our government at the time was not a reputable person. She said, I'll never pray for that person. I said, No misunderstand. You don't have to pray for that person's reelection. Uh, you can pray. Uh, that God would still work through that person in spite of him. You could pray that God would use him as a vehicle uh, of his glory. Nonetheless, you can pray that God would stir up his heart so that he would respond more to God. You could pray that he would, by God's grace, enact policies that uh, protect our freedom of worship, which we have as Americans. Thank God for it. Those are the things to pray. Now, where do I get this from? First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. Folks, that is a commandment. Just to show you how far we've drifted from it, when was the last time you prayed for the president? Stop. Don't answer me. I'm just trying to tell you. uh, We've drifted away, I think, from the right Christian response to human government. So one thing we owe government is to pray for it. Second, it's not just to pray for it, it's to pay taxes to it. Yeah, but what if the government uses the taxes, some of them, for ungodly purposes? Some Christians feel justified, therefore, in withholding a portion of their taxes. But how do you know that the portion you're paying is going to go (laughs) to godly purposes? Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 13, again, verses 5 to 7. Wherefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them tax, for whom tax is due. That is borrowed by Paul in Romans from the Lord's words in Luke chapter 20 that we're studying right now. Paul took the Lord's words, "Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, to God what is God, and applied it in Romans 13. And he said it's not your business to determine how the government uses your tax money and therefore to determine whether you're going to pay it or not. You pay it. The government is a servant of God. Render to the government what is its due. It is to pay taxes. Take it easy. God can take care of the government the government is his servant he has mastery over it he can use even evil government it's not your business pay your taxes as a christian citizen the luke passage is applied in romans 13 and both when luke wrote and paul wrote let me remind you again the one who seated on the governmental throne was tiberius another one in a long line of grotesque Roman governmental leaders who imposed their ungodliness. They killed babies. They ravaged women. They stole. They exploited the poor. We are not talking about Boy Scouts, choir members. They claimed to be God for crying out loud. We have people in our day uh, who try to act like it, but at least they haven't yet come out and claimed it. This guy put it on a coin. And still Luke and Paul, in invoking the words of the Lord Jesus, say, render even to that Caesar the things that are his due, including taxes. So three responsibilities for, uh, we have to government. Pray, pay, and then submit. Now, this is a stickler, but it says this in the Bible. Romans 13, 1, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. I didn't say that. I'm just reading it. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. We're supposed to be good citizens, and good citizenship involves not just not committing crimes. That's not good enough. It also means honoring and respecting with submission those in positions of authority. Now, submission to the government certainly involves obeying its laws, but it implies more than activity. It implies an attitude. It recognizes that government is appointed by God, and we are to respect that fact and respect the institution of government. Now, we are in no wise obligated to respect specific policies of government, But we are required to show honor and respect to the institution of human government because God is as much behind it as he is between the church and the family. Now, here's the problem. We Christians are rapidly moving away from respect for government to disdain for government. I have never lived in a day when I and people like me are so cynical about our government, so distrustful, so disgusted. I want to be careful. You ought to as well. I didn't say be a non-thinking, robot-like, yes person. We're going to talk about this in a second. I am saying I, you, we need to watch our attitudes. We need to be careful. We are called upon to submit. That's an attitude of respect to human government. We have, view, we have come to view, in my opinion, government as God's opponent rather than as God's divinely ordained vehicle. That's what I'm getting at. We've come to view human government worldwide as God's opponent instead of God's vehicle to accomplish his purposes. So, but what do you do? That's a lot of flowery talk. But, but what do you do when the government passes a law that is contrary to the law of God. Well, it's easy. Where there is conflict between obedience to God or obedience to government, obedience to God must come first. So disobeying the law of the land is always a serious matter, but it is not always wrong. There are times when a Christian citizen, a believer, has to obey God rather than man. Um, now, there are many passages of Scripture that command us to be in subjection to government, but within these passages is also a strong implication that no human authority has absolute authority. Only God does. So, Romans thirteen six. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God. So that in the hierarchy, human government, just like church and family, are subordinate to almighty God. So it is true that God ordained government, but it's not true that God ordained evil governmental policies. So when, if ever, is civil disobedience by the Christian. When is it ever justifiable? I want to share with you a few biblical accounts of this very thing. Uh, Episodes in which God's people essentially said to the government, no, I cannot obey you. I must obey God. Then I want us to see they all have something in common. So for instance, here's an incident. Exodus chapter one, the Hebrew midwives were ordered by Pharaoh. He was the head of government to kill all the newborn Jewish males that they delivered. They said no. Uh, They essentially said, we can't do what you want us to do because it's contrary to what God wants us to do. Not only did God not punish them, he rewarded them. Here's another episode. It's in Exodus 5. Pharaoh... Uh, refused to let the children of Israel go out to the wilderness to worship God. They went anyway. They disobeyed human government. What did God do? He miraculously intervened on their behalf to make it happen. Here's another case of disobedience to human government. Joshua chapter 2. Rahab, remember her? Rahab, she was a harlot. Uh, She lived in a place called Jericho. She refused to reveal to her government the whereabouts of Jewish spies who were checking out the land. Instead, she hid them and provided them with a way of escape. How did God respond? God put Rahab's name in the faith honor roll, Hebrews chapter 11. Here's another episode where God's people disobeyed human government. Daniel chapter 3. Have you heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know those? A friend of mine used to call it your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. But that's not actually true. Anyway, these are their names. They refused to worship Nebuchadnezzar's idol. Nebuchadnezzar was the government. He said, bow down uh, in front of an image of mine. They refused. What did God do? Punish him? No way. He miraculously delivered them. Daniel 6. Daniel refused a governmental order requiring him to cease worshiping God, the true God, in prayer. Do not pray to him. Daniel was told by his government. Well, he, as a penalty, was thrown into the lion's den. What did God do? Let him get eaten? No way. Delivered him from the lion's den. Matthew chapter 2, the Magi, holy men, came from another country to Israel. They disobeyed King Herod. Herod was the government. King Herod said, I want you to report back to me after you visit this infant Jesus. I want you. In, in a dream, God told them, don't do that. Disobey Herod's order. And they did. Acts chapter 4 and 5. The Sanhedrin, that was the then Jewish government, the equivalent of our Congress. The Sanhedrin demanded that the apostles stop preaching the gospel. What did the apostles do? They said we must obey God rather than man. They disobeyed the government. Revelation chapter 13, tribulation period, the faithful remnant are going to be ordered by the government run by Antichrist to submit to him. We're told, prophetically, they won't. They'll be martyred for the faith, but they won't bow before. They won't take the mark of Antichrist. Now, what is it that all these different illustrations of civil disobedience have in common? It's this. In each case, the people were commanded by human government to do something that would have required them to disobey God in every single case. The law of government would require them to disobey the law of God in every single case. In each case, they were presented with a direct conflict between compliance with God's law or governmental law. And in every case, they chose to submit to God's law, so too much must we. If we're faced with this case, obey the law of government or the law of God, we must obey the law of God. But what about the passage of Scripture in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14, which says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him. Well, that passage commands us to submit to the institution of government. It does not command us uh, to submit to the policies of government that are contrary to the law of God. By the way, submission is mostly an attitude of respect. When Christians throughout history have said we must obey God rather than man, and then have been willing to accept the consequences imposed upon them, they are showing respect to the law of the land. Daniel didn't object. The apostles didn't object. If a Christian is under fire for preaching the gospel somewhere and says respectfully to government, I hear you, I respect the institution, but I must obey God rather than man. Do to me what you will that Christian actually is showing respect for the law. It's not anarchy like the Wall Street occupiers. It's someone in the attitude of the heart showing respect to the divinely appointed agency of government uh, requiring something that would render that person in conflict with God's law. And that Christian says, bring it on. Uh, Apply the consequences of the law to me and then you entrust your well-being to Almighty God. Even if you're in the lion's den, if he chooses to deliver you, he can, he can do so. So, um, in each of the cases I, I quoted uh, to you, um, the government ordered people to do something that would have caused them to disobey God. But we have not one to my knowledge, example of civil disobedience in the Bible. Authorized. When the government simply passes a law that permits evil, as bad as it is, I do not think the Christian citizen is authorized in acts of civil disobedience if the government allows for evil only if it mandates evil. Illustration. In both Old and New Testament times, the government's had a policy of infanticide, kill babies. Does that sound familiar? In those days, the government required it in some cases. If the government mandates you, a Christian, commit an evil contrary to the word of God, you must respectfully disobey the government in order to obey God as in China, which requires its population to limit its family size. So if you exceed what the government has ordained, you must abort the baby. What would you do? We would have to say to the government, we must obey God rather than man. We are not going to take the life of a baby created in the image of God. But that is not the case here yet. Though it is grotesque, in my opinion, that the government has authorized legally abortion, though they have uh, legalized an evil, as awful as it is, it's not a mandate. The woman who chooses to go that way chooses to go that way. That's a far cry from the government mandating that she go that way. Now, folks, if the government did that, we must rise up and civilly disobey. So here's the deal. You do not correct the uh, distorted morality of unsaved people by imposing your morality upon them. How did you get your morality? You got your morality when you got the mind of Christ because you and I were just like the rest. Things changed when he changed us. So I'll say some stuff. Let's just say I won't be lonely this week. I'll get emails. I don't think trespassing the territory of an abortion clinic is legitimate for a Christian citizen. I don't think breaking a valid law will just... In order to usher in A better one is legitimate. That's called anarchy. If abortion is mandated upon us, I think we have grounds to civilly disobey. If Planned Parenthood simply sets up down the road, as horrific as it is, please don't misunderstand. I don't think we could trespass. I don't think we could burn it down. I don't think we can kill doctors who commit abortions. And zealous Christians are doing that. Did you know that? Well, okay. Well said. I think you may be right, Trish. I'm sorry. Those who identify with Christ, you are—you are right. That is a great qualification. Those who, who call themselves Christians think that's just—that is not. Listen to me. Uh, we want to be salt and light. We want government to change. We want the world to change. We want ladies to in crisis to see an alternative. We don't want them to be hurt, and we don't want to preach at them or anything. We want to propose an alternative and all the rest. We want folks to understand the sanctity of human life. We don't opt for a quality of human life standard. Nobody's life is more valuable than another. We don't gauge the value of life on the basis of a person's skin color, gender, IQ, age. We just don't do that. Life is created in the image of God, don't you see? Not at the point of conception, from eternity past. God saw all life. Life doesn't begin at the point of conception. It began in God's mind, in eternity. That's what we want to see. Well, how does all that happen? When someone has the mind of Christ, they have his morality. How did you get it? How did I get it? How did we change? I'm a little concerned that we're uh, giving up on the one thing Christians have to do. And we're opting for a stratagem that anyone could use. We can burn down places. We can trespass. We can beat up on people. We can knock out windows. We can do all that stuff. And another thing we could do is pray and share the gospel. Why don't we do that? Yes, Trish. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And they just gather together and they pray. Yes. Wonderful. There's power in it. There's nothing wrong with that. Not at all. That's a far cry. See, that is the uh, strategy that is uniquely ours. Anyone could blow up a building or trespass, but only the people of God can beseech their God to rescue babies. And turn back the laws, don't you see? So I know I'm stepping on thin ice here because different ones of us see different things. I'm just telling you, I don't see an example of civil disobedience. Listen, here's, the, here's what I'm saying. If there is a law you think is unfair or you don't like, that is not a grounds for civil disobedience. So for instance, I ran to a guy one time, a Christian guy who was a biker. Hey, there's one now. And uh, we, there's helmet laws in Texas. This particular biker thought, oh, my goodness, what a pain in the neck. He should have a right to ride the way he wants to, and this was just an encumber, a, a, a cumbersome thing for him that limited his vision and all. The, he's right. He said, I'm not going to wear it. He's wrong. I didn't say the law is right. I said he's wrong with regard to the law. It's an inconvenient law, and it might even be an unfair law. I'm not arguing with that. But we cannot break the law just because we don't like it. How many people are fishermen in here? Raise your hand. Anybody fish? Brother Chuck does once in a while. I don't fish. I'm a Christian. (laughs) No, no. But anyway, here's the deal. The government sets limits on, on your catch. Is that not right? That's ridiculous to me. If I was a fisherman, I'm out there. I'm having a good day. You know how fishermen are you got a 15-catch limit. There's the biggest, number 16 is like the biggest one. you got to throw that thing back? What? You better. You are not authorized in, ju- in breaking the law. You could say it's a stupid law. You could say it's a law that cramps my style. You can say whatever you want. And you know what else you can do? You can send a letter. You can get petitions. You can try to vote the lawmaker out. I'm going to tell you something else you can do if the law becomes so oppressive to you you can leave the country I mean that all that is legitimate if a government becomes so oppressive it is it is so warring against your conscience you, You can leave. If you have the freedom to leave, not everybody does, you can leave a country, you can go through the... But but I'm saying, we can't overturn buildings. You can march, you can protest, you can do all that. But don't misunderstand. You can't hurt somebody, you can't break a law, you can't trespass, you can't be in someone's face, you can't harass someone at their home, you can't uh, embarrass their children. You, You can do all these other things and should be doing all these other things. I'm just saying, in my opinion... The only cases of civil disobedience I see in the Bible are when the government requires evil on the part of a Christian that would render them disobedient to God. Then you must obey God rather than man. So, um, this is a rough deal. See, obeying Pharaoh would have made the midwives murderers. They couldn't do it. Obeying Nebuchadnezzar would have made Daniel an idolater. Can't do it. Obeying the Sanhedrin would have made the apostles disobedient to the Great Commission. Cannot do it. Those are cases in which civil disobedience, in my opinion, is required of the Christian citizen. So... uh, What about revolting against the government? What about assassination? This is some tough stuff. And I, I am really out on the line here because I don't have all the answers. Just a general statement. God gave the, what's called the power of the sword to government. It's a technical term. It's used in Romans 13, power of the sword. That means the authority to execute the ultimate penalty. Death, capital punishment, or government-authorized just war, power of the sword. God gave that to the government. One might say then, well, if the, the, we are authorized to participate in a just war, why can I, can't I overthrow an unjust government, my, even if it's my own, or even assassinate an unjust leader? Because God did not give the power of the sword to the individual citizen, he gave it to the government. If each individual citizen partakes in those behaviors, you do not have justifiable civil disobedience. You have anarchy, unacceptable for a Christian. So that leads to a great question, which was asked in the last class, and and Randy was into Randy. I think I really bungled it. But the question is, what about the American Revolution? What do you think of that? Texas Revolution Revolution and so on. Yeah, it's a good question, brother. And I just have to tell you, I I don't know, except I'm not certain. This is going to really get me in trouble. I'm not certain the American Revolution was on biblical grounds. Don't run me out. 17 years in the military, kid in the military, wife in the military, whole family in the military, not Israeli military, American military, oath of office, I pledge allegiance. I'm not sure the American Revolution was on. The Revolution, I didn't see response to the government was uncalled for. I'm not sure the revolution was... I'm not sure it was on biblical ground. I think I was a little more dogmatic in the first hour, Randy, and I'm backpedaling a little bit because i got to think through it. Trish? Yeah. So they actually around the world. Yeah. Okay, so that that helps a little bit. <laughs> See, it has to... Thank you so much. No, it has to be studied and thought through. I just have to... Uh, I know this biblical text, I don't know the application of it to all situations. Do you mind me admitting to you, I don't have this all together, but I want to tell you one thing and then I want you to share. The concluding verse in our Luke passage is verse 26. Look what it says. They were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people and being amazed at his answer, they became silent. Who were amazed at his wise answer? the spies, the Jewish religious leaders, and all the people. And I'm amazed at his wisdom, too. I'm amazed at my lack of wisdom. So I just have to admit to you, I don't know how the wise words of Jesus play out in all situations. I don't know. I think at the least we should give some thought. <laughs> Let the, our discussion today stimulate your thinking, um, uh, don't don't let my specific application um, require that you think this the same way. I'm still in process. I know the broad strokes. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's prayer, taxes, submission. Render to God what's God's. The specific application, uh, as in some of the questions and comments made, I'm uncertain of. Randy. Yeah, oh, that's a good question. They were the, they were the equivalent of political parties. They had different power blocks, votes, elected different members, and also different theological and political perspectives. Some were traditionalists with regard to scripture. Some were a little more liberal. Some were believed in supernatural events. Some de supernaturalized the scriptures. They uh, they were intolerant of one another. They were worse than Democrats and Republicans going after each other. Yeah. Yeah. The time? They still minted the shekel, Israeli shekel. And by the way, it's still in use in Israel today. It's called the NIS, the New Israeli Shekel, S-H-E-K-E-L. Uh-huh. That's why I find it interesting that the guys are saying, should we pay taxes to Caesar? He said, whose image is on it? (laughs) What do they pull out? A corrupt, unkosher Roman coin. (laughs) A little inconsistent. The denarius was the form of payment for the required poll tax, not the Jewish money, the Roman minted coinage. Because it would be used throughout the Roman Empire. So it, the was based how many pretty much no. You can still use the sh- the shekel in the local economy, but for international trade and all that, it was like the euro. The, the denarius, your shekel was not worth. Yeah, it was a little different in the temple. The temple tax you could pay in shekels, but the tax due the Roman government had to be their minted money. That kind of thing. In other words, you can't pay your taxes, Randy, with a Canadian quarter. I know you're trying to do that, but. Yes, sir. Is, is there a reference that speaks to the, or the, end of the authority timeline of government? That's a great question. Um, I think we can see the making of human government. From the beginning of time, even before God regulated, even in Genesis as communities got together, uh, there was even an organized governmental community uh, to erect the Tower of Babel in Genesis. The end of human government, I do know this, maybe sooner than we think. It's when the Lord Jesus returns, establishes himself on the throne from Jerusalem as King of kings and Lord of lords. And then all this stuff we're talking about. See, there won't be a conflict between governments. There'll be the theocracy, not the democracy, the theocracy of the righteous Lord Jesus. Not subject to vote, parties, but subject to his holiness and righteousness. It'll be a better day. (laughs) Yes, sir. You know, now you are really getting into a great... Well, it's a very real question you're asking. Uh, and, and, and once again, I, I'm not the final word or, or on anything. We must obey God rather than man. How a religious organization applies that, I'm afraid, is, gonna, is left up to the religious organization. Part of your taxes are going to finance Planned Parenthood right now. Did you know that? So I don't know how that's why I say I I'm I'm amazed at the wisdom of our Lord and I don't have it. I'm working on it. I don't know how all this plays out. Can I tell you something? One of the reasons why I'm confused and maybe you are as well, is because we've made a confusing mess of the world God created in Genesis three. And so we're left with these Complicated situations we can't even figure out in all cases. Well, how do I do this? How do I do that? The thought that a government would require Christian people to finance that effort. That was not supposed to be. We've created a mess. And I don't know how to extricate, how to straighten out all that we've made crooked. Brother Chuck? Yes. Yeah. We've made a mess of all three. Yeah. I mean, human are corrupted yes. are corrupt. These are God ordained institutions. Yes. we made a mess of all three. Chuck, you're right. You know, um, what time do you all have? We're okay uh, uh, from my point of view. But, uh, uh, I'm going to mention some. I told you we were having this wedding, and the wedding coordinator at the facility, we were so pleased. Uh, uh, delighted that she was delighted by both sides of the family because they're just loving on their kids it's going to be a time of rejoicing and parents are supportive and all the rest and she said, and then I chimed in this is getting increasingly rare she said, the wedding coordinator she said we really have to almost have a scorecard who belongs to who, who not to sit with who she said we've seen altercations at what should be such a festive and celebratory event is because of what Brother Chuck said and, and how do you fix that? How do you make all that right? I, I don't know how to. You know, this whole idea about same-gender uh, marriage, and some, some people say, well, not marriage, how about the civil, what they call it, civil partnerships and so on. Listen, if a gay person has a lover who's ill at MD Anderson, should that person have a right to have special access and visitation? You see, you have all the, that would be the right accorded, a, a couple married together. Would we deny that right to, to somebody? I don't have, and the reason I don't have the answers, and neither do you, is an evidence of the fact, as Brother Chuck said, we have so corrupted things. We have so messed up things. It's messed up beyond being straightened out and figured out until the Lord returns. Until then, let's do the best we can. We seek the mind of Christ. Oh God, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. We don't know. Somebody else had their hand. Yeah, yes, man. Hey, by the way, um, condolences to your family on the passing. I know the Dragers, but you all are connected. Uh, Barry Drager's brother passed away, and tomorrow's the service. Anyway, go ahead. Yes. I, I think you're right. Okay, so you I think you're right, but I don't think you and I have the answer. That's another example of what I'm telling you. The, ne- the 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 government that replaced the prior one put itself in power in an ungodly, unauthorized way. What do I do? I don't know. Neither do you. Why? father knows best when we do stuff contrary to his will we're presented in my opinion with unresolvable ethical dilemmas I don't know how to do it except this thus far you and I have not been faced with it therefore we don't have wisdom about how to deal with it if we're faced with it I have to believe God will show us what to do yes brother I think you had your hand up <laughs> Chuck, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I don't know how to handle this. Were they? There were many that uh, the the revolution Yeah. mm so in that sense it was one government against another. Yeah. And, and, but I'm just saying the all of the Episcopalians were saying no, it's not a joke war. Yeah. Most of the Baptist and the Methodist preachers were saying yes, it is a good idea. So now Chuck <laughs> is is uh is definitely uh he's a much better informed and I mean this student of history than I am. Which is, And I should have deferred. That is a great uh, response. So my answer is, I don't know what the answer is. Randy, I think I got a little too dogmatic in the first hour. Can you go call him back? I apologize. <laughs> it's not such an easy issue, but what Brother Chuck shared is quite helpful. There was a bit of a mixed review on it. Folks, I'm afraid we have to go now because very, very mean people are in the third, third hour. I don't know if you can do this. Oh, well, anyway. Lord Jesus, we pray. To you, worship you, respect government, but worship you. Big difference. You do all things well. We, not so much. You are very patient, aren't you? We've taken such a marvelous, untainted product, the world, corrupted it, and now, oh my goodness, we don't know how to make it right. Our hope is in your return, isn't it, Lord Jesus? And you tell us, be hopeful. Because you're coming quickly. Like a thief in the night, in fact. Till that glorious event, we really want to be good Christian citizens. Because we want to represent you well in church, in family, and in our response to government. Help us to know how to do it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. See you next time.